and uh, shown by you what you want us to do and that we get wiser and smarter about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Good morning, everybody. Doing good? Enjoying life? Things are well? Nodding of heads happening somewhere there? Good, 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 good. Um, it's good to be here again, jumping in uh, in Glenn's shoes. I think it was back in January uh, since I've been here, so this is, this is great. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, he's very gracious uh, to allow me to, to jump up, and uh, he can take a good uh, week uh, and prepare for the Easter push, which starts next week. This is kind of a one-off sermon. Uh, we're going to be uh, studying uh, just a little bit of a chunk of John chapter 3 this morning. Uh, that's, uh, you can go ahead and find that. There you go. That's a freebie. You can get there before everybody else does. Okay, John chapter 3. Um, but uh, next week, we're pressing into uh, the push towards Easter, uh, which is a very exciting, uh, I mean, it's the foundation cornerstone of our faith, what happened uh, so long ago, coming up in uh, the next few weeks. So it's good. It's good to study the scriptures together. It's good to be here. Now, I've been hopping around uh, Western Canada the last little while, um, with uh, the job that I'm um, doing, and I was in uh, Calgary for a week, and then I was in Saskatoon for a week, and then in Edmonton for a week, and let's just praise God that we don't live in any of those three places, okay? Uh, wonderful places, born and raised in Calgary, but very thankful that the plane gets to land here and stays here. I am thank the Lord for that. Okay, so when I left, uh, I was just in Edmonton uh, the last, uh, it was about two weeks ago, and there was still a good amount of snow in our front yard and backyard, uh, but then when I got back, it's all gone, okay? Like there's some dead grass that's going to get green in the backyard, I'm excited about that. I can see that the, the garden boxes are getting all ready, or I need to get them ready, but they're showing now, there's no snow covering them anymore. Uh, I'm getting excited for, for spring. We actually put the trampoline together in the backyard yesterday. The sun was shining, beautiful afternoon. So the kids were out having some fun. Uh, they keep pushing me. We, we bit the bullet and bought that big swing set thing from Costco that you see. It's just like, okay, we're doing this thing. It's just going to last a long time. So that's my project now. Father-in-law, you're going to help me out with that, right? We're gonna, yeah, we're going to put that together. So they're pushing me to get that built, but uh, you know, spring is coming, temperature's warming up. I even, so what I do, uh, I sell boats on the west side. I was on a boat ride this past week, believe it or not. I was out there ripping around on the water. So spring's coming, okay? Uh, It was great, it was a good week, and I actually took some photos. So we have stores in Calgary, Edmonton, and Saskatoon, but I'm the Kelowna guy, so I took photos of me out on this boat ride in the lake, and I texted to all those suckers still with two feet of ice on their lakes. I said, I'm just rubbing it in. So anyway... Uh, well, we love to garden, we love to grow things as a family, uh, kind of like hobbits that way. Uh, we have some fruit trees in the backyard, strawberry plants that take over uh, the garden boxes. Uh, my kids love getting into the garden, uh, they love getting in and just picking everything, especially my second oldest, Ray Lynn. Uh, most summer mornings, you'll look around the house, like, where's Ray Lynn, where's Ray Lynn? You look outside, she's still in her pajamas, barefoot, in the garden, a handful of blueberries that are still green, because she just doesn't wait until they're ready. She's got a stalk of kale in one hand and rhubarb sticking out of the corner of her mouth. She's just loving life, walking around. She just eats it all. Uh, Love gardening, love getting outside. Um, Now, I remember one year, we were living down in the lower mainland, and we had the garden going, and we had planted these nice uh, tomato plants, right? And you could see them starting to grow, and the tomatoes were were getting big. They were green, the ones that were still on the vine that Ray Lynn hadn't taken and eaten yet. Uh, but they're on the vine, they're getting a little bit bigger, they're still, still green. Um, and then one day we started to notice there was little black spots 
on, on the tomatoes, right? And we're like, well, that's kind of weird. And you wash over the next days and weeks, and, and they started to get even more black, and then you could see some of the, the vines and the leaves starting to shrivel and turn black, and eventually what happened was this entire plant uh, just was dead and black and gross. Like every, all the tomatoes, they were just shriveled and black, uh, and we were like, what's going on? So what we, what we found out was there was something in the soil that had poisoned the whole plant. Right, that had ruined the fruit, that had ruined the plant. It was something from deep down in the soil that was feeding the roots that caused this plant to, to shrivel and, and wither and die. Uh, it was really was poisoned from, from the ground up, kind of from the inside out. Um, it was dead. And well, obviously we didn't get any tomatoes off of that. Uh, but I want you to keep that idea in mind uh, as we look into the scriptures today. Okay, as we dig in, I want to ask you, uh, remember, John chapter 3 was, was where we're going to be. But let me ask you, uh, who are you really? Question for this morning. Who are you really? Now, in the kingdom, I mean, okay? For those in Christ, in the kingdom, who are you? What role do you play? I'm not, not questioning, I'm not, not talking about your status as a son or a daughter, okay? Not talking about the fact that you've been adopted, by the love and grace and mercy of God, you've been set free, you've been justified. Okay, not talking about the, the core of your identity, right, in Christ, but within the kingdom, what role do you play? Who are you in the kingdom? Are you someone that God can entrust more and more of his power to, more and more of his kingdom work to? Does he use you often in powerful ways? Does your life reflect a person whose, whose heart is near to him? who draws close to him often? Uh, do you desire to be used by him in powerful ways? Or you know, have you just kind of taken a seat on the gospel train and you're just waiting for the doors to heaven to open up? Right? Are you someone who is used and desiring to be used by God? Are you even available for God to use you? Do you, even, do you have time in your schedule? Can God even kind of get a word, a word in edgewise in your life? Or are you just spinning the wheels so often? Have you created space in your life for, to, for allowing God to speak, for allowing him to, to give you marching orders, to tell you, here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to say, okay? Is there an openness in your heart to allow God to press deeper, to entrust more of his power to you, to entrust more of his kingdom to you? This idea we're going to dig into this morning, this idea that we want to become good soil, good soil fertile ground that God can use to plant, God can use to grow, God can use to reap a harvest in our life and through our life, good soil that can and will bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, or your phone, app, or tablet, whatever you use to access the scriptures, where are we today? John chapter 3, okay, we're going to look at a man named Nicodemus who I believe was willing and, and ready to come to the Lord and be used by him, but he, he didn't really know how to go about it. Okay, we're going to look at this, this story, this li- brief uh, snapshot of this conversation with Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. And we'll see what the Holy Spirit has to say. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here we go. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are, you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's our text for today. Now let's look at this again. Right from the beginning, verse 1 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Pause there. Okay, the Pharisees, you've been around church any length of time, you've heard this word, you've heard this term, this group of people. Okay, the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. They were zealous, they were passionate, they knew the Bible. Okay, they knew it. They were passionate for God, they were passionate for his word. But what they did was they confused the actual commandments of God with their oral traditions and the things that had been passed down from generation to generation, what they did is they, they held their traditions on the same plane with the same authority as the word of God, and they got themselves in some trouble. Okay? They, they got confused. They, they wrapped it up in, in what God intended to be freeing and life-giving and healing. Uh, what the Pharisees did is they just wrapped up more and more chains around people's lives. Okay? There wasn't, there wasn't a life and freedom that the gospel was supposed to bring, right? That the word was supposed to, supposed to bring, but what, what their rules did is they brought oppression, okay? They brought religious burden, okay? These are the people that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 15, uh, chapter eight. He's actually quoting Isaiah 29. He says, these people come to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught, okay? That's the Pharisees, Right? Wrapped up in oral tradition and rules, they didn't get it. They missed the heart of the message. They were so uh, legalistic, right? so letter of the law that they missed the spirit of the law, what God really was intending. They were entangled in their own rules and regulations. They missed the heart of the story that God had brought them into. Nicodemus, that's who we're talking about, Nicodemus was one of those Pharisees. That's his background. That's the camp that he landed in. And we're told that he's one of the leaders of the people, right? People look to him, people followed him. He's one of the, the kind of the big guys on campus. Now again, verse one and two says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. Verse two, this man came to Jesus. Stop right there. This man came to Jesus. Remember, we're talking about becoming good soil, fertile ground that God can use to reap a harvest. Verse two tells us, that this man comes to Jesus. This Pharisee, this ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus. Step one in becoming good soil, you need to be willing. Nicodemus was willing. You need to be willing to come. He was impressed by Jesus. Nicodemus was drawn to him. He was intrigued by him. Something about Jesus drew him, that he, he had to come. He had to find out more about this man. There was something about Jesus, maybe something uh, in his eyes as you look him in the face, something that calls out the depths of his soul. Nicodemus saw Jesus working. He saw Jesus ministering. He was fascinated. So he had to come and see. Step one is you need to be willing. This man comes to Jesus. Now remember, in the, in the context of where we're at, we're coming off of the wedding at Cana, right? Jesus turns the water into wine, 
Uh, the cleansing of the temple, right before this, this chapter uh, 3, we see that Jesus cleanses the temple. Nicodemus would have seen all of that, right? Jesus, in, a, in a wrath and fury, flipping over tables, chasing everybody out, he, he sits there and braids his own whip, ready to just unleash on these people because he says, zeal for my father's house will consume me. So Nicodemus has seen all of this going on. He's like, I gotta find out more about this guy. Okay, if you wanna become good soil, you want to become fertile ground that God can use to reap a harvest, you need to be willing. Step one is you've got to be willing to come. Okay, step out, step forward, come to Jesus. Don't just be a spectator, right? Spectator sitting on the sidelines watching God work. You've got to get up, you've got to get moving. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to be willing. Second Chronicles 16 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those who heart, whose heart is blameless towards him. God's looking for people who are willing to serve, right? Here I am, Lord, send me. God wants those kind of people, okay? In his kingdom, doing his work. You want to be good soil, you got to be willing, okay? Step one is you got to be willing. Now look back at verse two. It says, this man came to Jesus by night. Stop right there. Why did he come at night? You think he just wanted to have a nice evening cup of tea with the master, right? Maybe he just had to get the kids to bed, clean up the kitchen first, start the dishwasher, and then I can come over, we can have a nice chat. You think that's what was going on? Don't think so. He came at night, and I'll tell you why. He was a coward. He was a coward. Turn to your neighbor and say he was a coward. Louder, turn to your neighbor and say he was a coward. He was a coward. Okay? He was a coward. Remember, uh, where, what was his standing in society? Was he a leader of the Jews? Somebody give me a head nod. Yeah, he was a leader of the Jews. Was he a Pharisee? Yeah, he was a Pharisee. So do you think he had some kind of popularity to protect? Right? Some status to protect? He didn't want to be seen. I don't think Jesus was very popular with the Pharisees. You remember that if you read the story? Okay, they didn't really think too highly of him. So one of their leaders being seen in his living room uh, probably wouldn't have gone over too well. So he comes at night. Okay, now remember, he still had the courage to come, right? He still was willing to, to come and see what this Jesus, who this Jesus was and what he was all about, but he was a coward. He was a coward because he came at night in order to protect his false identity, to protect his false self. He had to guard the fig leaf that he had spent so many years protecting and developing, right? This, the opinion that everybody had of him as a leader in the community, he had to come and see Jesus, but he came at night because he was trying to protect this side of his life and yet be drawn to Jesus uh, at the same time. You can't have both. Okay, so step two, becoming good soil, fertile ground that God can use to reap a harvest. Step two is be bold. Number one is be willing. Number two is be bold. You gotta be bold. If you're gonna follow Jesus, if you're gonna be used by God to do some big things in the kingdom, then you better get ready for it to hurt a little bit. Okay, it's going to upset things. He's going to flip over the tables in your life. That's what he does. That's why Jesus says to the crowds that followed him, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's pretty strong words. I love how, how true and right and good Jesus is. He doesn't sugarcoat anything doesn't sell you a bill of goods telling yeah come on in it'll be great everything's hunky-dory right 
When you swear allegiance to him and walk with him all of your days, it's going to cost you. It's going to be hard. He even goes on to tell them that, same, that exact thing. Count the cost. Okay, before you come to me, before you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to walk with you, he says, before you do that, you count the cost. Count the cost. Consider what this will cost you. Consider all that this will affect in your life. Okay, consider all that you'll have to give up, all that you have to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. It's not going to be easy, but it is worth every minute. You must be willing to lose everything you think matters for the sake of gaining everything that truly does matter. Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. He was willing. He was willing to come and see, but he needed to be bold, and he wasn't. Okay, now I work in a non-Christian environment. Maybe that's true for a lot of you. You go to maybe secular university. Okay, you're in a situation where you as a Christian, you're a minority. There's not a whole ton of them out there in your, in your world. Is that true? That's true for me. Okay, and that, it's, it's, I love it because uh, I used to work in the church and most of the time, in all honesty, you're, you're dealing with uh, wonderful brothers and sisters in the faith, older uh, saints that just don't like how loud the drums are, and so you're just kind of dealing with that. I was in the worship world before, but it's, it's great to be kind of in the, in the working world with non-Christians and, and different worldviews, because the conversations you get into are amazing, right? You get to, get to just get into deep conversations with your coworkers and kind of see their background, and a lot of them have a history of being hurt by the church in some way or another, and they've taken that with help from the enemy, and with the enemy, and they've twisted it as a way to believing things about God that are absolutely false, right? And so uh, I get into these conversations. They'd, these people, they get to the point where, you know, they've defended their worldview and they've, they think they've proven their case. You know, they've kind of put a stamp on the conversation. They've, they've shut me down, uh, they think, with my Christian ideas and my Christian worldview. Uh, when the conversation gets to that place, I find I just, I kind of just start to smile a little bit. I kind of, a smile creeps on my face because I'm praying for them in my heart because as, as convinced as they are that they've beaten me, I'm saying, buddy, listen, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First, the power of God unto salvation. There is no other way. There is no other way. I know that these people, they need to be saved. I know there is only one name given among men by which they must be saved. There is no other way to be right with God. There is no other way to experience life and healing and freedom. There is no other name. There's one name, amen? There's one name. So when I'm in these conversations with these people, I get that, like, it's, just, it's kind of a quiet assurance and a confidence and a boldness to say, look, you can be sure of your worldview. You can think that you've uh, logically uh, defeated uh, my standpoint and what the scriptures say, but listen, bud, there's one name. And you need to be saved. There's one name by which you must be saved. And you will bow the knee. It's not an option. My prayer is that you would bow on this side of heaven, right? Bow the knee on this side of heaven for eternity, for salvation. Because you will bow the knee for damnation. But bow the knee on this side, go to salvation. That's my prayer for them, okay? And I pray that God in his grace would open their eyes to see their desperate need for him. That he would open their hearts to know the love and grace and mercy that God has lavished upon us in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. I love those conversations. I love interacting uh, with those different worldviews. And I love those people because God loves those people. 
I mean, think right now of those people who, they're in your world, your, your friends at school, your co-workers, those people that don't know Christ, they need to know Christ, and you're praying for them, and you're, you're slowly trying to just inch your way in more and more to tell them about the Lord. Show the goodness of God by how you live your life. You need to be willing, you need to be bold. If you want to be good soil, you want to become good soil, fertile ground that God can use to reap a harvest, you need to be willing, and you need to be bold. Not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's the only way. The road that Christ paved for us. Now, let's look at the text again. Now, Nicodemus begins this conversation with Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Doesn't you, don't you love that? It's a little bit of a weird response, right? Nicodemus steps in and he says, Good evening, sir, all wise and knowing teacher. God is with you, right? Maybe he's trying to butter him up a little bit. Uh, Nicodemus, again, one of the Jewish leaders. They haven't exactly been Jesus' biggest fans thus far. I, I say, I would like to assume that G, uh, Nicodemus is kind of a little afraid, standing in front of Jesus. Remember, he's at night, kind of the cloak of darkness, standing in front of him, a little bit nervous. So wanting to pay him some compliments, make sure that he knows, oh, right, and good teacher, all wise and knowing. Uh, he's shaking in his boots. Uh, he continues with the formalities. I love this because Jesus just says, I'm not having any of that. Cutting right to the heart of your issue, the exact reason why you're here. You're here because you want to know how to get in. How can you inherit the kingdom of God? What do I have to offer? These are the questions that Nicodemus is, is wondering of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I love it. Cuts to the heart of the issue every time. Jesus knows you. He sees you. He sees through your fig leaf. Just so you know, just surprise, okay? He sees right through your bull cuts right through it. You can't hide from him. You can't pretend in front of him. It's not how he works. Jesus knows that, that in his spirit, right, that he's being drawn to come. He's being drawn to taste and see that he is good. Jesus knows that Nicodemus is there. He's searching. And so the, the questions he's wondering, Nicodemus is saying, how can I be saved? How can I be right with God? How can I know you and be known by you? I'm tired of pretending tired of posing, tired of, of keeping up appearances. Remember, he's a Jewish leader, right? It's, it's exhausting trying to maintain that, that image uh, to have people think certain uh, things of you that you want them to think, but they're really not true, right? You've got to work so hard to try to have your life match the life you portray on Instagram, right? It's just, it's hard work keeping up appearances and keeping up the facade, okay? Jesus says, if you want true freedom, if you want true life away from all the pretending, you want to get rid of the fig leaf, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again if you want to become good soil, fertile ground that God can use to reap a harvest. You've got to be born again. You've got to be willing. You have to be bold. You have to be born again. Uh, look at the text. Uh, Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So here's what's going on. Nicodemus, he struggles to understand what Jesus is saying. Okay, uh, so again, he says, good and right teacher, all wise and knowing. Jesus cuts right to the heart of it, says, you want in, you got to be born again. Uh, so Nicodemus, remember, he's under the fig leaf, dealing with, living under the false self. I think he's trying to keep up the appearance. Uh, um, uh, good and right uh, teacher, hmm, uh, that's an interesting point, Jesus, that you make. Um, so if I want to be born again, how, how was, must one back into your mother's womb and be born again. How does that... He's trying to like, intellectually engage with Christ. He's failing miserably. Okay? Jesus points to the second birth as being very different from the first. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Okay? Human being, skin, bones, flesh. If you're going to have a baby human being born, it's going to come from a human being. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Okay? It's not like that with the Spirit. To be born again in the Spirit can only happen from the Spirit. Okay? It's not a flesh and bones thing. It's an inner man thing. It's an internal heart thing. Okay? And he says it's like the wind. We don't understand it. We don't understand how it works or how it happens. Uh, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. You can't predict it, but it's unmistakable. You know when the wind is blowing, and so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. You don't know how it all works, but when genuine life change takes place, when God performs heart surgery on you, it's undeniable. The old has gone and the new has come. You've, uh, I hope that's been true in your own life. You've probably known people uh, who have walked a certain way. There's so many stories that you read of people who are walking a certain way and God gets a hold of them and all of a sudden they are a new creation. Okay, The Apostle Paul or Saul, we've heard of that guy. The Damascus Road, the light coming down, all that stuff. He was walking one direction. God gets a hold of his life and he's a new creation. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about. If you're born from the Spirit, you know it happened, just like the wind's blowing, you know it's there. Don't know how it happens, but it happens. If you're born of the Spirit, uh, there is that genuine life change. And what Jesus is actually referring to here is a passage in Ezekiel. He's talking about water and the Spirit. Listen to Ezekiel 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will, remove, I will remove from you the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is saying is that the, the cause of all your problems outside of Christ, you got a heart problem. You got a heart issue. The only way to fix that is you got to get a new one. Okay, you need a new heart. That's what being born again is about. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, the scripture does not say you must be improved. It says you must be born again. Okay, no amount of, of cleaning up of your life will gain you right standing with God. No amount of, of wrestling your sin to the ground in your own strength is not going to work. You've got a heart issue. You need a new heart. Okay? You need a new heart. You need to be born again is what Jesus is saying. If you want to become good soil, fertile ground that God can use to reap a harvest, you've got to be born again. If you're outside of Christ here this morning, let me tell you, you've got a heart problem. You have a boulder in there. God wants to remove it. He wants to perform surgery and take it out. And he wants to replace it. He wants to take out that heart of stone and give you his heart, a soft and willing heart, a cleansed heart, a pure and a true heart. 
You must be born again. That's what this conversation with Nicodemus is all about. I'm going to invite the team to come up. And we're going to respond in worship. And if you're here today and your, your heart is stirred, you're asking those same questions that Nicodemus asked. How? He says, how can these things be? I love that in the text when he gets there. Okay, John 3 Nicodemus says to him in verse 9, how can these things be? When Jesus pretty much just, just preaches the gospel to him, right? You want to be born again, you've got to be born of the Spirit. Okay? You need a new heart. He's, remember, he's a Jewish leader. He would know the book of Ezekiel, right? What Jesus is referring to, being born of water and born of the Spirit. Uh, the fact that Jesus is saying, I'm going to remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is cutting right to the core of Nicodemus because that's why he's there in the first place asking these questions, knocking on the door at night because he wants to see he's being drawn uh, to the Holy One. And Jesus says, here's the answer. You need a new heart and I will give you a new heart. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? How can I be born again? How can I receive what you're offering? How can I enter the kingdom of God? Maybe you're here and you're asking those same questions. And Jesus uses a story from the Old Testament to answer that question that Nicodemus asks. In verse 14 of John chapter 3, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And what's he talking about there? There's a story in Numbers 21. As the people of Israel are wandering through the desert, they've been delivered from Egypt by the power of God, they begin to grumble. They begin to complain. They begin to speak against the Lord, speak against Moses. They, they question God's goodness to them. They question his, his provision for them. That's what the Lord does. Is he sends serpents among them and they, they're biting the people. The people are getting sick and they're dying because of it. And in response, the people come and they confess their sin. They say to Moses, we've sinned. We repent. We've, we've spoken against the Lord. We've spoken against you. Please pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. And the Lord tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and lift it up on a wooden pole so that when the people are bitten and they look to the bronze serpent to lift it up, they would be healed and they would live. What Jesus is saying in the same way, right? Death came from one man and through one man death came to all. I am the second man. And when I am lifted up, if you want to be healed, if you want to be set free, from all, uh, delivered from all your, your sin and your sickness and your pain. When I am lifted up, you look to me. And that's where healing and life comes from. Healing and life would come to all who believe. Jesus says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the answer to all your searching, Nicodemus, is to believe. That's the answer. You're willing. You're here knocking on the door. You were willing. But you need to be bold. Don't, don't be sneaking around at night. But your real issue, your real problem is that you need a new heart. And when I'm lifted up through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I will give you that new heart. I will set you free. I will forgive you. If only you put your faith and your trust in me, you must be born again. That's what we're talking about this morning. And so let's pray and we're going to worship. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've shown us this morning. 
what you've revealed to us, Lord, I pray that as you're stirring uh, in people's hearts this morning, that we would respond to you. That we respond in worship, we we would respond by laying our yes down. Maybe there's someone here for the very first time. They've been drawn in as Nicodemus was. They're here because you've drawn them, because they're, they're fascinated by you. They want to know more. And so God, I pray that you in your grace would shatter every wall, would break down every barrier, that you would soften the hard heart, that we would come to you and we would find life, and we would find healing, we would find forgiveness, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And in that, Lord, the old will pass away, the new will come, and we truly will be born again. And then you take our lives and and use us for your glory. Use us in the work of your kingdom. God, we want to be used by you in a more meaningful way, more powerful way. We want to know that that our life uh, means something. We have an influence. So God, would you use us cleanse us, set us free and then set us on mission to go about the things of your kingdom we thank you Lord thank you Jesus and we respond in worship now we pray this in Jesus name Amen